2020 was a year that made everyone look at their own lifestyle and environmental impact. Many people have made a conscious decision to lead a more sustainable life to benefit themselves, their families and the wider society. In this episode, we'll explore some of the key statistics to come out of the latest New Motion driver survey report, and in particular, how the perception of electric vehicles has changed. Joining us in this episode is the man widely regarded by the EV industry as the pioneer of electric vehicle expeditions, who continues to push today's technology to its limits. He has a passion for exploring the planet more sustainably and has taken his audiences on a series of pioneering world firsts across continents and at least 25 countries. Chris Ramsey, welcome to Wheels in Motion. Hi Dan, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. You're more than welcome. Also joining us is the CEO of New Motion, who have spent 11 years at the forefront of the EV industry with offices in the Netherlands, France, UK, Germany, Belgium and Norway. Acquired by Shell in 2017, they have a roaming network of over 100,000 charging points for public charging in 35 countries and employ over 350 people across 50 nationalities. Melanie Lane, it's great to have you with us today. Brilliant, really great to be here. So yeah, looking forward for the conversation today. Brilliant. So Melanie, if I can start with you, uh, COVID-19 has made us all reevaluate our lifestyles. We're generally more aware of our own vulnerability in society and perhaps more sympathetic to the environment that we inhabit. There's no question that people are more willing to do their bit in order to contribute to a more sustainable future with subtle lifestyle changes that can make a big impact on our health, environment and finances. How do you think that this seismic shift in attitude has raised the awareness and the attractiveness of the electric vehicle? Yeah, I mean, it was it's interesting, isn't it? Because a year ago when we were going into COVID, I think there was a lot of discussion and almost concern about whether the priorities for individuals but also governments would really shift because it was as we were going into that COVID period that sustainability was really at the forefront of the political agenda and then everything changed. So I think at a kind of a macro level it's been really encouraging to see how that green recovery, I mean, it's being talked about a lot. There's still a lot of proof and investment that needs to come through to back up that narrative. But certainly the green recovery as a narrative is very strong and has kind of grown stronger over the last few months. And we've seen that manifested in both kind of regulations and policy, but we're also seeing it at a consumer level as well. And so, you know, in the latest survey that we're just publishing, the number of people that are choosing an EV primarily for environmental reasons has really increased as opposed to cost reasons, for example. So I think both at a kind of a societal level and at an individual level, you're really seeing that shift come to the fore. And I think the other observation I would make from the kind of responses that we've had is it's part of a bigger awareness. So when you see consumers responding to questions about home battery, solar, sustainable power usage, wanting to be active in how we're managing the grid more efficiently. I mean, they're kind of subjects that I don't think were top of mind a year ago. And more people are responding saying, yeah, that actually that matters. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? You know, for the very first time, environmental reasons have been cited as the key reason to purchase an electric vehicle rather than financial ones. Chris, that must be music to your ears, having made it one of your biggest ambitions to put the electric vehicle at the forefront of transportation uh, right now. So how is that playing out for you? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, if you go back to when I first got involved in electric vehicles and started driving them about 10 years ago, even up until 
well, I'd probably say two, two years ago, three years, well, pre-COVID time. So let's just say a year pre-COVID. I'll be honest, I mean, a lot of electric vehicle owners from back in the early days, probably a lot of them would, wouldn't have cited environmental reasons as going electric. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have when I bought an electric car. It was more about the technology and also the financial reasons, because obviously the cost savings I realized I could make in fuel alone um, with my commutes and with my long distance trips was one of the reasons why I did it. But when you're touching on the, the seismic shift, I guess a lot of people with COVID, one of the positives, if we can talk about a positive of COVID it's in that sense, is the fact that people have connected, I find, more with their green spaces and people have connected with the environment a lot more. And because the consumers become more, as, as Melanie quite said, the consumers become more aware of environmental issues and, and it's becoming more to the forefront of their purchasing decisions and, and the way that they want to shift their life. I think COVID has kind of connected more with green spaces has allowed them to do that more as well. And electric vehicles are still seen as that, I guess, that poster way of, of reducing your emissions, saving the planet in a sense by buying an electric car because you're, you know, you're helping to clean up the air in cities. So, yeah, I think it's great. There's a good shift happen. It's great to hear that result um, in the post that people are choosing it now for environmental reasons, because I think that'll accelerate the shift a lot more as well, I think, as opposed to people just wanting to buy an electric car because of the tech or because it's something different, for example. Yeah, the environmental shift is happening a lot quicker now. And I think this will help those survey results just help strengthen my opinion that electric cars will start to accelerate the purchase, accelerate a lot more. Absolutely. And you touched on a really good point there that, that did actually manifest itself in the survey that's just been released. So, you know, a car is often much more than just a car. It, it does say a lot about who we are and, and what we value. And, and you've just summed that up beautifully. And, and Melanie, you know, that was um, one of the key things, wasn't it, to come up with the lifestyle, the modern EV lifestyle. That was one of the key things to come out of the, uh, of the report, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things we're noticing from the survey is, it's no longer a niche decision by a niche group of people. It is becoming a lot more mainstream. So the diversity of people who are making that choice is really kind of coming out a lot more now. Picking up on a couple of the points that you've made, I think certainly people are looking, as Chris said, for ways of shifting their lifestyles. That's definitely at the forefront. And I think there's been so much change to people's lifestyle. So less travel, much more kind of local, much more kind of community. It has forced a kind of a reevaluation on a number of different levels. And so my immediate surrounding is much more kind of maybe relevant and front of mind than it was in the past. So that relates to a lot of different things. So where am I traveling to? What do I need my car for? Whereas before, maybe I'd be flying a lot more for holidays. Am I now going to be driving? Am I going to be much more in kind of an environment that is accessible to me by road? But also things like um, air quality, you know, with the amount of cars not on the road. And, and maybe that's not so noticeable in Western Europe, but certainly in places around the world where you've had a sudden drop in on-road emissions as well as air pollution, it's been really noticeable. So I think it's certainly come to the forefront. You know, a few years ago, you're right, Chris, people would have chosen it for the tech. They would have really looked hard at this. It would have been a kind of quite an intellectual decision. I think now it is one of the easier steps that a customer can make or an individual can make towards a greener lifestyle. And whereas before, maybe that was just kind of out of reach of people, I think 
when they're trying to translate this kind of need for a kind of a more sustainable way of living into reality, an EV is now a credible and much easier choice for somebody to make. And so we very much see the shift to EV. It's a bit like a gateway to a more sustainable living environment more generally. So people will often make that choice first, and then we'll start being more aware of their power consumption and where does the power come from? And what about the rest of my home? So it's it's kind of, it's an easy, accessible first step. And I think now that you're seeing the infrastructure investment and you're seeing the OEMs pour billions into really moving their fleets to EV, that choice will grow, the price points will become more diverse and it just becomes all around more accessible. Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, in terms of that, just to touch on that, Melanie, you're quite right because, again, like I said, for my 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 decision for going electric was because of the tech, because I liked and I saw where the future of the, the cars were going. But it, it's, it very quickly becomes more part of your life and you start to think, okay, well, I could get solar panels. If I get solar panels, I can charge my car from solar panels. And then you kind of go later down the line, you're thinking, well, if I have battery storage because there's too much energy going into the grid, maybe I want to retain that and use that in the evening. So you look at battery storage. And then even just down to, well, now I'm not going to buy plastic bottles for soap. I'm going to buy bars of soap. It just is such a spiraling effect. It does literally change your lifestyle. And it's not something that people consciously decide to do. It just becomes a natural progression because of everything you learn and you you start looking and researching a little bit more about because electric cars have put you on that journey. It's quite a great shift. Now, Melanie, you talked about there's more choice than ever before for purchases of electric vehicles. Have you noticed that that changes by geographical location? So obviously this survey uh, went out to respondents in Belgium, Netherlands, UK, Germany. Did you notice a shift in choice and decisions being made by people that inhabit those different countries? I think the main thing that I was struck by is that in the early years, it was more around fleets and lease companies. So maybe less of an individual decision. So you've got these two groups of people that are driving change. So you've got your early adopters like Chris, right, who are there in the tech, they're really interested in it, and they are driving what I would call thought leadership around the energy transition and mobility. But in terms of kind of getting you to a mass market, then you've got fleets and lease companies who are at the forefront. And often that's driven by the total cost of ownership. So at what point does it make financial sense for our fleet to switch to electric vehicles? And so I guess one of the things that was interesting for me in the report was an increasing number of people who are going directly to the OEMs. So what that says is it's an individual kind of purchase decision outside of your early adopters and outside of a fleet or a lease company deciding that it's the right most kind of economic choice. So I think, again, that just signals that you've got more of the general population starting to engage in that decision themselves. And when they're looking at making kind of a new car purchase, they're doing that directly with the OEM. Yeah, brilliant. And and Chris, you were an early adopter, uh, as mentioned many times now, about the of an electric vehicle. You've made it your mission uh, to demonstrate the benefits and the capabilities of the ever-evolving technology. What, what have you discovered? Talk us through that personal journey 
if you can, uh, of where you come from when you took delivery of your first electric vehicle through to uh, planning your next expedition in electric vehicle. Yeah, I mean, so how I started my journey was kind of like, it was it was literally a, a mistake in a way. It's kind of strange because I was sitting there at work and an advert popped up for an electric car on my computer screen. And I'm thinking, electric cars? What's this all about? And so I, I then went down to, it was a, it was a Nissan Leaf because that was the most widely available vehicle at that time. I went down to my local showroom, had a little look around it and thought, I'm going to have a little go of this. And so I booked a test drive and my brain, my brain works in a way of, I want to test something. I want to push something and just really see if it's going to work. So I drove to all three UK capital cities in the UK and back. Um, and that was when there was about 60 charges in the entire country. And I had my, my challenges on that trip. And to put it into perspective, when we're talking about today's electric cars, I had a real world range of about 65 miles on a charge. It really was pushing the limits of your one, your, your mindset and your ability to, um, to, to drive long distance at that time. And, and today we're talking cars with 200, 250 miles real world range. So there's a big polar difference there. But so I started, I bought that car and I loved it because I just, again, like we were saying earlier on, I got the tech, I loved it. And I knew this was the future of mobility. So, but it does take a big mindset shift. And I think that's one of the things we're finding with people now is they're still in this combustion engine. I've got to be able to drive 500 miles on or see 500 miles on my, on my fuel gauge. And, and that's what I've got to see all the time. So it, it does take a bit of a mindset shift, but within literally within a few weeks, when you're driving an electric car after a while and you've charged it at home and, and you've got a few of your journeys under your belt, you're like, this actually wasn't a big deal. It's not as much of a big deal as what I thought it was going to be. And I've spoken all over the world and done events in various different countries. But the number one question that always comes up is how big is the battery range? And I say 500 miles, can I drive 500 miles on a single charge? And ironically, in the early days, that used to be 250 miles or used to be 300 miles. And the, the bar keeps shifting every time the battery ranges get bigger. And when you explain to people, look, you do that how many times in a year or how many times in every couple of years? Once, twice, maybe. In some cases, maybe people do it longer. But on average, it's about once or twice a year people do a long distance road trip. Your average commute in the UK is around about 23 miles. So the battery that your car that you buy is going to more than cover the needs for your, your daily commute. So you're going to be absolutely fine. And reality is your car is going to sit 95% of its life parked on your drive or parked in a car park at work. So you're going to be okay. And then the shift then goes to, well, charging. Where's the charges? Is there enough charging infrastructure? Is it easy to use? And again, when you explain to people that your home it's a mindset shift. You're not driving to a dedicated location to charge all the time. Your home becomes your charging location. You have a charge point installed and your home becomes that, that charging point or even your place of work because all of workplace charging is now coming into place in countries. So your place of work becomes where you charge. And then when you do those long distance journeys, there are charging infrastructure installed by organizations like, you know, Umotion in, in motorway services, in, in key locations, in, in organizations, in shopping malls and things like this. So you can plan your route around those destinations and it becomes very easy to do. When I've driven so many adventures, I mean, people have, I've always found from myself, and when we talk about long distance journeys, I found from myself and even from other people I speak to as well, cost of charging becomes an issue for some people. And I found when you're doing a long distance journey that very few times in a year, you always pay a premium for petrol and food and everything at a service station. And 
I don't mind paying a premium for charging. I pay for charging and I and I don't mind paying that premium because I know the charging infrastructure is going to work at that location. So even cost, again, for an electric vehicle owner, once you've been getting the benefits of the cost savings, the paying that bit of a premium sometimes for charging or sometimes for service, you don't mind so much. So yeah, it's a bit of a mindset change. But you'll get there and it's not as big a deal as what you thought it would be. That's all I can say to people. For sure. And how much of a better planner have you become since owning electric vehicles? Presumably, if you're doing those long journeys, you, you really have to plan those stops out. But I can imagine you also have a more relaxed journey because you're not trying to do it all in one go. It's, it's funny because when I drive in the UK, I mean, yes, my first journey is because, again, I was driving a 65 mile range electric car. So I had to plan every 60 miles. But now in the big range cars... Um, having 200 miles of range at my disposal. I drive, my route that I drive when I drive down to Coventry or Birmingham or London is exactly the same as what it was when I was driving a petrol car back 10 years ago. I stop at the same services that I used to stop at then because I have 200 miles of range. I need to stop more than the car needs to stop in some cases because when you're driving and driver fatigue, so you drive and I stop, um, I have a break with a coffee and my breakfast the car's on charge, I get out, I do my next day of the journey and I stop for another coffee break or a rest break and then that's it. It's the journey's done. That's done the same way as what I used to do in a petrol car. So, but planning, when I planned, yeah, I drove London to Mongolia. That was a bit of a different girl fishing. Yeah, that was a lot of planning involved. <laughs> um, and you do, in the early days, you do become a serious planner because you have that apprehension of, I need to know where my charges are and I need to plan it. But that quickly dissipates as you've driven a few journeys because we're creatures of habit creatures of habit after all we'll stop in the same places yeah absolutely and uh yeah london to mongolia does take uh, some planning and we'll come on to your next big adventure that's i know is currently in the process of, of being planned uh, a little later on in in the podcast but melanie you know how have some of the findings that chris mentioned there uh, resonated with the respondents of the latest new motion driver survey and is there a sense that people are now starting to discover these fundamental benefits you know a little more rapidly than uh, previous yeah, I think so. We moved from Singapore a year ago and we didn't have a car in Singapore. So when we came over here, we said, okay, right now we're in Europe, we need a car. It was the number one research item on our list was range. That was it. My husband commented on just how different it is researching like a traditional combustion engine vehicle versus researching an EV. So completely relate to that. And interestingly, range has not been an issue once. You know, that we did the research and that's it now, like done, because actually it's so easy to manage kind of daily life. And I think the driver survey showed, I mean, there's a small percentage of people that are doing those long distance trips on a regular basis. Actually, for most of us, that's not the norm. And exactly as Chris said, it's, it's annoying for people that they have to have multiple cards, right, to access multiple networks. But actually, when you look at what they've talked about, most of them acknowledge that actually one card gives them access to what they need close to their home, which is exactly to Chris's point that we're creatures of habit. I need the security blanket of knowing that I can access all these different charge points. But actually, what I need to know is that the locations on my commute and my route are accessible. And that's really kind of the, the basis of decision. So I think, yeah, once people make that shift, the behavior changes come quite quickly and the attitude change comes much faster maybe than it would have done in the past because it has become so much easier. And, you know, understandably, there is still a need 
for more infrastructure. And that came through clearly in the report. So availability of more charges was kind of one of the top two reasons that people quoted for as a driver to accelerate the shift and also more fast charging. Which is interesting because when you look at the number of people that actually use fast charging, it's minuscule. So it's such a small percentage of people's kind of actual charging routine. So I think it speaks to Chris's insight that there's a difference between when you're on this side of the transition and you're doing the research to what actually happens when you change your behavior. And what actually happens is a lot of your charging is done in your home environment, either at home or in a couple of stations close to you that you know well and that you can plan with. And so I think that kind of general ease of use and comfort with, you know, with the e-mobility domain will only get quicker. As again, as I say, the more models come on the market, there's more choice. It becomes more of the normal, the new normal e-mobility. Absolutely. Now, there will be people uh, listening to this podcast who like the idea of going electric for all of the benefits that we've just discussed, but they still consider themselves a bit of a petrol head. Uh, They love driving their five litre V8, uh, the sound that it makes, the roar of the engine when they put their foot to the floor, and they just can't imagine trading that in for an all electric vehicle that doesn't give them quite the same buzz or so they think what would you say to those people as a recent adopter of electric vehicles melanie yeah i mean i'm really interested to hear what dan says to that because i mean he's had to drive these vehicles in the most extreme circumstances and environments i mean certainly from my perspective and my husband so we're two kind of very different profiles of people but we both love it i mean it's such it is such a great experience the smoothness, the acceleration, the comfort, I and mean, everything, honestly, it's we wouldn't go back now at all. And the fact that you actually don't need to factor in service stations to your kind of daily life, actually, that's quite a nice thing. We don't have a home charge point, but we've got one on the street nearby. So park the car, plug it in, that's it. We don't really have to think about that again. So actually, both the experience in terms of the charging versus refueling, but also the actual driving experience, I think is brilliant. The other thing that's really neat about the kind of the EV world is just it is it's a tech. And the fact that you've now got vehicles that you know, they have software upgrades, they are just a different kind of machine. And so I really do think you're going to get, just as Chris has talked about, a set of enthusiasts around that. Same way that we've adopted tech in other parts of our lives, you're going to see the same kind of momentum building in mobility as well. I mean, without a doubt. And of course, my kids love the fact that the car farts. That is probably the biggest (laughs) selling factor. Really? Is that a thing? It's the little things that amuse, isn't it? It's the little things that amuse people. (laughs) It's great. Oh, yeah, totally. And it just absolutely makes me laugh, absolutely, to think of the Tesla kind of product developers going, what can we do that would be really fun? Yeah, let's make the, we'll make the car fart and we'll make it dance. Like, how cool is that? It's just a different <laughs> way of thinking. Honestly, it's just a different way of thinking about cars, about yeah. software, about technology, about experience, about customers. And I just love... Well, you laugh about the fasting thing, but it's a paradigm shift. It's just a different way of, of thinking about yeah. that space. And, and I think that just with disruption and with innovation, 
comes undeniably a better kind of set of choices and experiences for us as the end user. So Chris, I guess you you are an enthusiast. You've been on this journey. But what would you say to these people uh, over and above what Melanie has just said there? I think the simplest point I'll make at first is is I was you 10 years ago. And to a certain extent, I still am. I mean, I'm still, I still class myself as a petrol head. I, I love sports cars. I love performance cars. I love prestige, you know, the heritage cars, the old Bugattis. I still love that world and, and that will never change. It's just for me, like 10 years ago, I've discovered that for me, combustion engines driving them is something I don't want to do again because I understand the benefits that I'm doing for the planet. But it doesn't mean to say I don't love them. And it doesn't mean to say the people out there that consider themselves petrolheads have to stop loving them either. But again, having this conversation um, at one of the auto shows, and this guy was saying, you know, the same thing. I still want to have my, my Ford Mustang. It's like, well, great, still have it. But what's it costing you? And, and what's the benefit? Are you getting the love of you getting for driving that 10 miles or three miles down the road to your place of work? You have a two-car house, so change the one of the cars to an EV, drive the EV, and at the weekend, go and enjoy your Mustang. Nobody's saying you can't. It's just think about it a little bit more. And especially the, when you see the fuel bills coming down, you maybe, <laughs> you maybe have a little bit of a shift yourself. And then you'll start looking at things like, you know, the Taycan, the, the Mustang Mach-E GT, um, a Tesla, these cars that can perform just as well as any sports car, uh, any performance car, and then you'll think, actually, these cars are great. I'm going to get I'll get my fun here because it's, a, again, a different type of fun. And the acceleration of changing down gears and you get that noise, you like it. But there are some manufacturers using the tech to be able to bring in a synthesized noise within the car. They match the engine noise to the acceleration of the car and they produce those um, the gear changes. There's still, I think, in the EV world, there's a bit of debate about whether that's, you know, whether we should be having that or not. But I guess that opens the market to people like that. You still want to have that noise and you have the choice to turn it on or off, but it gives those those petrol heads, so to speak, if we're to use that term, gives them that feeling that they're still getting that sense of acceleration, of grunt, of V8 noise. And I don't mind it at times. But yeah, it's kind of just saying to these people, it's not a hate petrol cars, love EVs, love EVs, hate petrol cars. It's You can still do the two. I'm really interested in something you said about the synthesized sound of these vehicles as well and do you think that can be done properly so i get the fact you can beat these five liter v8 mustangs away from the lights but you know do you think a synthesized sound can really make up for that roar of the engine that you get from that five liter it's it's an interesting one i mean I, there's a there's a yes or no answer to it i mean i guess for the purists there's probably no and for some EV enthusiasts, they don't like that synthesized noise. They don't want that on the car. But I guess for mainstream mass, for masses, having that synthesized noise sometimes is nice. Sometimes you put your foot down, you're in a country road and twisty, windy roads. And to have that noise sometimes just gives you that little bit of an extra buzz, a little bit of an extra feel. So I don't mind it as much. I mean, I actually had a friend who I, the BMW i8 was a hybrid electric car. It was a 1.5 liter engine, but backed up by batteries and motor, bringing it up to about 400 horsepower. So I took him out for a drive in it and he was like, wow, this is amazing. See, electric cars, I'd have one of these, but I'm not having an electric car. And he goes, cause that noise, I missed that noise. And I was like, that's an MP3 playing through the car. That noise that you're listening to, it's not the engine. It's a 1.5 liter engine. He went, ah, oh, okay. Oh, that's, that's not too bad then. I, I could like that. I could get that. So it's got a place. I think it. I think it does have a place in the world. But um, yeah, 
it's it's time will tell to see how many more manufacturers put it into practice on their cars. Oh, so I was just going to say, I think the good thing about it being a tech play is that you can turn these things on and off, right? I mean, that's the point. You can actually have so much more kind of choice and innovation tailored to the individual depending on what they like as opposed to having to make a choice okay i know i really want to stick with a petrol car or a diesel car because of this because of this feature actually the innovation and the, the tech base that sits underneath these evs means you, you can choose that and i think that means there are less and less reasons really to say I want to stick with a petrol or diesel car, given the benefits to the environment that really have to come to the fore now. It is with a sense of urgency, right, that that countries and individuals are starting to act. Absolutely. I, I guess a question to you both then um, that people may be considering, you know, is there an argument for people to make a gradual transition? You know, let's say, you know, kind of buying a hybrid before fully committing to an electric vehicle. Is that something that you would recommend? Chris, we'll come to you first. I always have a yes or no answer for quite a lot of things. And, and I guess the answer, um, we, we can't force people to go down a particular route because if you try and force somebody to do something, they're going to not want to do it more. So I always try to say to people, you do what's right for you. But as long as you're armed with the correct information and armed with the information that, that's catered to you and what your needs for a vehicle are. So... I would say no going to a hybrid because the fact that, you know, your daily, as we said earlier on in the podcast and the points we've touched on, your daily commute. Look at what you do on a daily to weekly basis and you'll find that your petrol car, uh, sorry, your uh, electric car will suit, you know, the vast majority of your needs, if not 90, 95% of your needs. And if you are a little bit not confident about taking your electric car on, on a longer journey, on the occasions when you do do that, maybe you hire a car. And as you get more confident with your with your electric vehicle, then you'll start to go long distance journeys and you'll build that confidence up that way. But again, the yes to it is basically if you feel that that suits your transition. There are some people that just don't have the confidence at all to go fully electric now. You know, I recognized that a number of years ago through the events I've done. I guess it's the world recognizes that because there are some people that just won't go straight to electric. And as much of the information they've got, it's just a confidence thing. I always kind of go back to a point that I had with with a close friend of mine. I was chatting with them. I explained to them about an electric car. They went for um, a BMW i3 and they said, but we're going to go for the range extender model, which has the little petrol engine in the back, just because when we do go long journeys, we just want that safety net. And I was like, if that's what suits you, you do that. You're not going to use it. I can guarantee you once you start driving the car a bit more, you just paid an extra £4,000 to carry an engine around with you. And I met him about a couple of months back after he bought the car and he says, you're right, I've never used the petrol engine once. He said, we, we wish we'd never bought it. But again, I said to him, that's fine, but that was right for you at that time. That was your choice that you felt comfortable with and armed with the information you have. So that's fine. But it's just, it, it is really looking at individuals and just saying to you, look at what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Electric vehicle will cover your needs. But if you do want that safety blanket, yes, the hybrid is there. But you'll find that you're, you're actually not getting much of a safety blanket from the electric side in terms of what you're relying on on petrol. So the shift to electric is going to be, is going to be the better solution. And um, of course, Melanie, you went uh, straight in, didn't you? Straight in for electric vehicle. There was no hybrid transition for you. My point would be, do you end up just not having the best of either world, right? So kind of just sitting in the middle, do you get the really the best of the 
the innovation and the technology that's coming through on the EV models by kind of sitting in the middle. You're not you kind of got to fit in in both camps. So yeah, for me, we just wanted to do this, right? We wanted to to make the switch and. I'm leading a company that's doing this. I mean, I, you know, I want to experience it. I want to, you know, be a part of it. This is, it's so fundamentally important. I think what we do see is a lot of the early adopters have the luxury of having two vehicles, right? So often they're two car families. And so they'll switch one to EV and keep the other. And then you kind of hope over time that their experience with the one means that they then change the other as well. So you do see that, right? Um, and I think, again, as you get more models on the market that cater to kind of different needs of household members, then there's more choice and optionality to have both of those vehicles move to EV. Obviously, some people don't have two vehicles. It's just one. And it's a, you know, it's their largest investment other than a house. This is it, right? So I think there's then a real kind of responsibility on people who have already made that transition, just as Chris said, to talk about it and make the information available. Because I think whilst at the moment the penetration is still low so people don't necessarily have within their network lots of people that can give them that reassurance that will change so over the coming months and years that will change and so I think we need to do as good a job as possible of really allaying those fears and encouraging people as Chris said with the facts really educate yourself and I think then the right choices follow. I think the other thing that will really help Dan is just that the infrastructure is coming I mean we know that we need about 3 million charge points across Europe. I mean, Shell's already committed to 15% of that by 2030. The investment is coming. OEMs are investing billions, utilities, traditional energy companies are doing the same. So I think, again, just that visibility, that increased awareness will come. I think we've passed that tipping point. And I guess just to touch on that as well, it's the last point Melanie's made there, which is really good about the infrastructure, is that as well then breeds confidence into people and breeds into people that are looking at that, making that jump. If they see with the infrastructures getting, because it's, it's in the news, like probably say every week, every couple of weeks, the infrastructure is going in the ground here. This has been ramped up, more companies investing here. And that all just breeds confidence in the consumer. Because yeah, more and more vehicles are being made uh, available by manufacturers, and manufacturers are now saying, "Here, I'm, we're going to make eight new electric vehicles into our into our brand," and and more manufacturers are making these announcements. So again, with the infrastructure announcements coming off the back of that, and that investment's happening across across Europe, across the globe, that just breeds so much more confidence in the consumers that are looking at going out there to look to buy. So yeah, it's it's a good point well made by Melanie there. And Chris, you do a brilliant job of, of bringing that confidence to consumers through some of your adventures, including the Mongol Rally. Tell us about the next exciting adventure that you've got, uh, that you're planning for right now. Yes, I mean, all my expeditions and plug-in adventures exist to basically dispel those myths and to educate people along the way about e-mobility is all the things we've discussed today. So um, when I completed the Mongol Rally, um, proving that you don't need charging infrastructure to run an electric car because we drove from Turkey to Mongolia, six and a half thousand miles of that trip without any public charging infrastructure ahead of us at all. We were just relying on a two-pin plug and the kindness of the general public. Incidentally, off the back of that, the expedition now in Kazakhstan, there's, there's a charging infrastructure being installed there. Russia, our entire route in Russia is now covered with charging infrastructure because the education piece did its job, which is what, we're, what it's all about. But I looked at the next kind of thing and said, right, one of the next big myths is people talk about, or not myths, one of the things, the impacts for electric vehicles is cold cold weather. 
the impact on the battery. People say, well, that's why I'm not going to buy an electric car because in the cold, you only, you only get 50 miles out of it or the, you know, the battery the car doesn't work very well. So I've taken that to the extreme and said, right, that's another, uh, as well as all the existing myths that we're still battling every day about range, anxiety, and various things, I wanted to bring cold into it. So I've my next expedition is actually to drive from the South Pole to Magnetic North Pole in a purely electric car. And the idea behind that is in the South Pole, we're going to be battling temperatures of minus 30 degrees. And when we get into um, into South America, we're going to be battling temperatures of 30 degrees. So we're on, we're on both sides of the scale, extreme heat, extreme cold. But taking a car again into the South Pole and then up into Magnetic North, we have no infrastructure. So how do you charge the car? And, and those are the questions that come out from people, obviously. And, and it's taking that to the ultimate extreme to say, we can now go into the most hostile environments on the planet, still charge the vehicle and still travel on our journey. But when we go into the likes of South America and things, we're traveling through. And where does the energy come from? And as, as Melanie touched on earlier on, people want to know where their energy comes from and they want to know they're getting it from a renewable source. So we're taking that transition. So we're going to be charging the vehicle from as much renewable sources throughout South and North America. Because in the Arctic and South America, we have no option but to charge from renewable sources. And that's the energy, the technology we've created around our project. But we're going to be charging in South America and North America from as much renewable sources as possible and, and educating people about where that energy is coming from and showing them as well as we travel through tying in with conservation and environmental projects to kind of show what people are doing in South America and North America in countries to tackle climate change, the innovative ways they found in solutions in little rural villages to generate their own energy. It's just showing people the whole ecosystem and how our planet is transitioning and how it can transition even quicker to renewable energy and electric mobility. What a, a brilliant journey that lies ahead there, Chris. And if that doesn't give people confidence uh, to hop into an EV and, and solve people's kind of range anxiety fears, uh, then I don't think anything will. Melanie, is, is that a trip uh, that you'd like to, uh, to go on one day with your electric vehicle? Oh my goodness. I so want to, I want to be your co-driver. Like I'm so there. <laughs> It'd be amazing. I mean, yeah. And I, but I think you need to, I mean, what Chris is doing is capturing imagination, right? And storytelling in a way that is accessible for people. And so I think that is such an important part of people's journey to understanding what that journey could look like for them personally. So yeah, I, Chris, it'll be brilliant. I mean, wow. Fantastic. Well, um, it sounds like, you know, there could be another episode to tell us all about your travels uh, when you come back uh, from, from your journey. But good luck with that. Final question um, for this episode of the Wheels in Motion podcast. Um, and I'll, I'll start with you, Melanie. You know, what's the most exciting thing uh, that you're looking forward to in the evolution of electric vehicles that will really take the industry to the next level? Do you know what? I, I think it's that imagination. This is generational. It's like once in a Quacky, more than a generation, right? Once in a hundred years, I mean, of change and innovation. And it is that that's exciting. I don't even know all the changes that are going to come out. Every, as Chris said, every week, every month, there are new announcements and new innovations. And so we're at the epicenter of such a big change that's affecting kind of individuals as well as industry. And and the planet. And I just think that is so exciting. So in some ways for me is that I, I don't know everything and how it's all going to evolve. But just being right here right now, seeing how this is a gateway 
to change in people's lives that for me is uh, is just a brilliant place to be. Brilliant. And Chris, the most exciting thing that you're looking forward to, I, I guess, you know, adventure aside, there's, there's changes happening within the industry that I bet you just can't wait to get your hands on the technology and the next big vehicle. What would that be? Well, I guess that's the thing. I, to, as Melanie said, I agree with the points. It's kind of it's the exciting thing is the technology. One day to the next, you never know what's going to happen in this in this industry, and that's what excites me so much about it. I've been asked, you know, what do I think the future is for electric mobility before, and I'm like, I don't know because it changes so much. People, uh, I've never classed myself as an expert because within a week things have changed, and you've you know you've got so much more to learn, and it's just that's the exciting bit about it, but. I guess Melanie, for me, Melanie touched on it earlier on, was was market disruption. Tesla taught people so many valuable lessons in the car world. And so you've got Neo Lucid Motors, you've got Rivian, you've got Alpha Motors, all these brands, all these new brands coming to market that are basically just changing the way that traditional car manufacturers need to think and the way they need to operate. And that's then going to lead to like Kia and other manufacturers are doing bringing in a whole raft of new electric cars and changing the way their business is is running and again bringing their price points down so there's going to be an influx of affordable really cool tech on the market i guess of these next three four five years and and that's i guess that's exciting and it's great for the consumer i think uh, definitely exciting times uh, to be in the industry. Chris Ramsey, electric vehicle adventurer, speaker, presenter and expedition leader at Plug In Adventure and Melanie Lane, CEO of New Motion. Thank you so much for coming on the Wheels in Motion podcast this evening. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Dan.